Turn with me to four places. Uh, you guys have heard Zach preach. He, he makes it okay to have at least four, even six passages to look at. I don't normally have but one or two, but today I have four. But I will give them to you order. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and then all the rest are in the New Testament, and they are in order. So you're going to be going uh, left to right. Nehemiah chapter 4, which is just after Ezra, which is just after First and Second Chronicles. And then the next place is Acts chapter 2. So Nehemiah 4, Acts chapter 2. Philippians 1. Remember in uh, kids' class, they have Bible cha- sword challenges. You, this is your practice right here. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, and the last place is 1 Peter chapter 2. So Nehemiah 4, Acts 2, Philippians 1, and 1 Peter 2. Two and just a couple of short passages in each. So first in Nehemiah, and hopefully this will all uh, be clear. It's kind of a composite picture of ministry, and there's many other passages I could read, would love to read, just don't have the time. But hopefully these will give a flavor of what God has ordained in ministry, and also what we're up against to some extent as well. So Nehemiah chapter four, uh, verse nineteen. Nehemiah is doing this speaking. I did a whole study on the book of Nehemiah, and it's still archived on the website if you want to go out there. Verse 19, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. Well, that's true of every church ministry that's endeavoring to follow Jesus. It's always great. It's always extensive. It doesn't matter if it's a small church, medium-sized church, or large church. Relative to the number of people, it's always going to be great and extensive. And it's going to be the same way in your home and everything else. And then it says, um, and we are separated far from another on the wall. But now we have text, so we're not as separated anymore. So we have uh, smartphones, all that good stuff. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. When it comes to ministry, you want God fighting for you. Amen? You don't want to do it in striving. You want the Lord fighting for you. So we labored in the work. Now there's still going to be work and there's still going to be labor. And half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So the ministry of the church is both day and night. I woke up in the middle of the night. I couldn't go back to sleep. I started praying. It is a nighttime and a daytime thing. Uh, it, the ministry, because God has a great work to do, and it's not easy work, but the Lord will rally to our defense, is what, exactly what it says. Now turn over to the book of Acts. That's an Old Testament passage. Acts chapter 2. You guys know that Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. And we'll get into that in just a minute as well. Uh, but picking it up with after Peter has now preached, a bunch of people have gotten saved, and now the church begins to uh, convene on a regular basis, starting in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly, faithfully, if you will, in the Apostles' Doctrine, which is exactly what we're doing here this morning, opening the Word of God and the Apostles' Doctrine, and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and in prayer, so fellowship and the breaking of bread, which is both communion and 
the, the gathering together to fellowship meals and in prayers. And then it goes down in verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together. So important that there was a togetherness, that there was a unity. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord. And then finally in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, just like the Lord comes to the defense there in Nehemiah, the Lord adds the church daily, those who are being saved. You can't convince people to come into Christ. We only present Christ. Now turn with me over to... Uh, the next one was Philippians, and that would be Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm reading verse 6. I actually have this verse on the front of my Bible as well. Now this is true for us individually, it's true for us as a church. Being confident of this very thing... That he who has begun a good work in you will, if you're still alive, you're in the will complete stage, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then lastly, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, picking it up with verse 4. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, not just stones, but we are, we've been made alive, being built up, a spiritual house, being built up, so the process is still happening, being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he is building, he's currently building up a spiritual house and all of us being these living stones. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again. We open your word. Uh, we know your word is life and truth, but it's also, Lord, when we think about the ministry of the church, Lord, we're not creating a blueprint. We are receiving a blueprint. But Lord, we want to follow the blueprint with obedience, with humility, with trust, and with the work of the Spirit. Lord, you are the same yesterday and today and forever as you help. Nehemiah and then build a wall. You helped in the New Testament the apostles to build the church. But Lord, it wasn't their building. It was the work of the Spirit. But Lord, you still use us as individuals to be part of this and you are still fitting us together and still completing what you started. And we pray that this will become clear as we look at these things. And Lord, Jesus bless this ministry Sunday and we would fill some gaps and be that much more effective for the time is short and your return is drawing near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at the... Uh, and so today, uh, this is kind of like the, the story part three. And this is the post-resurrection part of it. Because um, I was like, well, how, Lord, how will you want me to fit Ministry Sunday related to Easter? It's, it's actually a, a quite natural fit. And so I think this will make, uh, make sense and be clear that this is that third part. This is you have... Jesus coming to Jerusalem to complete his mission. And then actually going to the cross and the resurrection. Then you have what takes place post-resurrection. And we'll look at that as it relates to Ministry Sunday. But last week, we looked at the express reason that Jesus came and why we can be saved and why we can rejoice and why we have the hope of heaven. We looked at that. And it's forever the same marvelous, amazing story of God's redemptive work. That being that Jesus suffered, 
And he shed his blood. And he died on the cross. And then he rose victoriously three days later. And as I mentioned last week, if none of that was true, if all of that was just a fairy tale, we are wasting our time being here today. I'm certainly wasting my time if none of that's true. Now, of course, it is true. And that's why we're here. But when Jesus cried out, it is finished, it was in reference, when he said those words, it is finished, it was in reference to that 33-year journey from manger to cross. That, That was finished. It meant that the one and only blood sacrifice that the Father would accept on behalf of sinners, i.e. us, that was complete. What the Father mandated, as far as sacrifice, it was complete. It was finished. That's why the veil was torn in two. The mission was complete. We now had access to the Father by the blood of Jesus. And with his resurrection, three days later, in addition to the completed atonement for sin, with the resurrection, he delivered eternal life to all who would believe. Not just forgiveness, but also eternal life. He had to rise for us to have that eternal life. So not only were we saved from something, from our dead and sins condition and an expectancy of hell and judgment, saved from something, but to something, to heaven for eternity with the Father in the glory of heaven we all look forward to. And we have there the completed work of the gospel. The completed work of the gospel. The sacred message that the world needed then and still needs was 100% complete, finished, nothing to be added, no more sacrificial lambs, all complete. But the fruit of that message, the depth of understanding that message, even studying that message, which we're still doing 2,000 years later, we're studying it right now. The Holy Spirit's empowering of that message. The distribution of that message to a world that had never heard it. Well, that was only just beginning. You agree with that? That was just beginning. That was just starting. The means of salvation were complete and finished. The mission of the apostles and the works that they would do and the church that would come forth, that was yet unfinished. That was still unfinished. It still is unfinished. But it's about, at that time, when Jesus says, go on to Galilee, and I'll see you there, it's about to get ignited. It's about to be ignited. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title this morning, Unfinished, Growing, Serving, and Reaching Together. Jesus called 11s. They would be a team, a family, doing it together. Now let's understand, by the end of that Passover week, on the first day of that new week, the exponential impact of our blood-bought salvation and of Jesus rising up, him building up, and then sending out his apostles and the church on that day of the resurrection, all of it 
was at its starting point. It would be like the runner being at his feet there in the um, starting blocks. In the 40 days after the resurrection, so you have the 40 days that Jesus was walking the earth post-resurrection. In the 40 days after the resurrection, this is more of that additional part of the story, after the resurrection. In that 40-day period that Jesus walked, and many people witnessed him, at one point over 500 at one time, believers, he gave the apostles the commission, which we now call the Great Commission. It was in that 40 days that he gave them the commission to go into all the world, well beyond Jerusalem, well beyond Judah and Judea, and to preach the gospel, which is called the good news. And to baptize those that believe on his name and in him for salvation. And he told them to teach everything. Don't hold a single thing back. Teach everything that he taught related to the doctrines of the faith and what it means to abide in Christ. He said, you're not only to baptize, but to teach and to instruct and to build up. At the end of that 40 days, remember this, is the, this was his giving them the charge. At the end of that 40 days, Jesus ascended up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he has been sitting there receiving our worship ever since. 2,000 years of the world, uh, the church has been receiving, or he's been receiving the world's worship these last 2,000 years. Then 10 days after his ascension, so 10 days after the 40 days, Mark 10 days after his ascension, or 50 days from the resurrection. And not only 50 days from the resurrection, 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits. That's why when Jesus rose, he rose on Sunday, first day of the week, but it was also the Feast of First Fruits, and that's why he's called the First Fruits of the Resurrection. So there in Jerusalem, he rises and he is the first fruit. So, on the, so 50 days from the resurrection was also 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits. God coordinating every little detail. It's 50 days after that, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Similarly, in the Old Testament, God poured out his wrath on that day. 3,000 people died because of idolatry. Here, he would pour out salvation. There'd be 3,000 souls added. But beyond all that, as he poured out his Holy Spirit, which he promised to do, that on the day of Pentecost, which is, means 50, right? So we get Pentagon, Pentateuch, first five, or five. You have uh, the five sets of 10 days, but you have the Pentecost and on that day that the Holy Spirit's poured out, which Jesus had promised, he baptized the church, plural, into the Holy Spirit. And he also baptizes and immerses all the individual people that are there that day. Not just the church collective, but all the individuals are baptized individually by the Holy Spirit. You have 120 that were gathered in the upper room. They're all baptized collectively, but also individually, because there was a little clothes of fire over each of them individually. All the others that believed in Jesus that had come to Jerusalem for what? They had come for the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shavat. We call it Pentecost, but Feast of Weeks, Shavat, Pentecost, they're synonyms. Each of them are talking about the same 
Jewish feast day, Pentecost, Shabbat, Feast of Weeks. But that, so all the other believers, not just Jewish pilgrims, but the believers that came, they also were baptized by the Holy Spirit, not just the 120, but any that, remember, Jesus had led many to himself up in Galilee, and they would have come as well. And when the Spirit fell, the Spirit baptized and immersed all the believers that were there, the 120, others that had come, plus 3,000 brand new converts that got saved that very day. They were baptized immediately. They, from the day, they, their salvation day and their immersion by the Holy Spirit at the exact same moment. And then the entire church at that point was sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, for the work of ministry. Jesus had a three-year what? Ministry, right? Jesus had a three-year ministry. What was he going to give the church? A ministry. What he got, he handed off. I had a three-year ministry. You have a 2,000-plus-year ministry so far. Could be longer. So they were set apart for ministry. They would administer to one another. They would need the Holy Spirit with help as it relates to power, boldness, love, divine appointments. You love when God gives you divine appointments? Like you had no anticipation that your day was going to run into someone who needed to hear you say something about the Lord. All of that to share the gospel. Jesus was handing off the ministry to the church. And at the same time, the work of the Spirit was there to help the apostles. Remember, Jesus promised the helper, John chapter 14. And he promised the helper to assist them in ministry. That they would not have to come up with everything. This is the difference between believers and the world. The world believes it has to come up with every every single solution. By the way, have you noticed that their solutions fail a lot? I mean a lot. I mean all the time they fail. I mean I'm still looking for the one great success of humanity. But Jesus said he would give the helper because we wouldn't have to figure everything out. We would just say, this is how God says to do it. Let's not try and reinvent the wheel. Let's do it how God says it. But the Holy Spirit would help them and remind them of these things and, and also empower them. And the help was to be making disciples. Going back to the Great Commission. Now, how, how does all this relate to the church today? We know what happened at Pentecost. How does all that relate to us today, to Calvary Chapel Richmond, to today's Ministry Sunday? Well, I hope that you can see, even the passages that I read, that the Spirit kind of stitched those together for you. You could kind of see that without me being able to spend as much time as I might like to. But either way, I'm glad you asked. Even if you didn't ask, I'm glad you did. Because, uh, first of all, none of, what Jesus, none of what Jesus commissioned and initiated to the church, to the apostles, and then bestowed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, none of what Jesus initiated, I want you to hear this clearly, those of you online, not one thing of what he initiated has changed. Nothing has changed. He has not amended it and said, oh, by the way, This won't work in 2022, so if church so-and-so wants to just go ahead and change the rules, go for it. No. He has not changed one thing. 
It's in perpetual effect until he returns to take his church out of this world. The apostles and all the believers that were alive there at Pentecost or Shabbat or the Feast of Weeks, all those that were alive saved or saved that day, like the 3,000 that were added that day, those believers there in Pentecost, there in Jerusalem, were the original torchbearers of the gospel. They were the original torchbearers. They were the original empowered by the Holy Spirit. They weren't, they weren't better than us. They weren't more important Christians in heaven than us. But they were the original. They were the starting point. That's, that's the group that Jesus said, you guys are going to carry the torch of her. That little fire over each of their head, they were the original torchbearers. They would take the flame of the gospel around the world. And just like an Olympic torch, you guys have seen Olympic torch lightings where they start it in, uh, I don't know, they start in one city and then it matriculates all over Greece until it ends up. Remember they did in Greece a few years back and then it ends up in Athens and they light the big torch and they go up the stairs, Muhammad Ali, remember all that kind of thing. You go up the stairs, light the big, um, at that big basin. But one, when you think about the Olympic torch lighting and the relay that takes place, one runner passes the flame to another runner and to another runner, and to another runner. The flame is always the same elements. The flame is always the same. The torch is different. The hands holding different torches are different. The people running are different. But the flame is still, whatever the fire is made of, is exact same elements with every torch passing. And the torch passing in the Olympics, it does not stop until the relay, which is sometimes thousands of miles. One was the, the, the longest one was in China and Beijing. I can't remember what year it was. It was in uh, late 2000. 187,000 miles the torch traveled. That's a lot of busy work for somebody. You know, just, uh, it didn't need to be that long. But nevertheless, they did do it that long. But it's not finished until the course is complete. You have a course that you individually are going to have to complete that Jesus has given you a course. I have a course. Paul said, I've finished my race. We have individual races. We have the church. The church has a race that Jesus determines when that's finished, and he calls us up to meet him in the clouds. So the church has a race to finish. Individuals have a race to finish. This church has a race to finish. We don't know what, we don't even know where the finish line is. We just keep doing the same things he's always asked us to do. In the course of the church, of course, uh, we know it's not finished yet, or we would have all been taken up by now, either through death or through the rapture. So we know your course isn't finished. This church, we're all here. So the torch, we know it's been passed for 2,000 years, and now the torch rests in our hands. The apostles, if they could echo to us, if, if Paul and Peter and John and all the apostles could shout forwards, they would say, how are you doing there in 2022? We've been home with Jesus for 2,000 plus years. How y'all doing with the torch? It rests in our hands. And we're the ones that are called now to keep it lit. As Jesus said to the parable of the virgins, they had to keep the oil in the lamps because the, uh, the groom could return at any moment. But it's our job to keep the torch lit in our midst here as a church body, but also to take the torch 
out there, past Genito, past Fall Street, wherever we go on vacation, wherever you work tomorrow on Monday morning, you're to take the gospel with in your heart and also in your countenance and on your lips. But also to the next generation. The next generation. I'll come back to that in a couple, uh, in a couple minutes, what it means to taking it to the next generation. Now, it is true that everything that we are today as the church was built on the original foundation. Everything we are was built on that original foundation. It says in Ephesians 2.20, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus there, says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church was built on what Jesus gave the apostles, what he gave to the prophets. The prophets were the ones that spoke the word of God. We have the written word that the prophets, whether it be Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Moses, all the prophets, everyone God prophesied the word of God, that they wrote it down for us. The apostles also were part of the written word. We have the gospels, we have the epistles, and all the work the apostles did, the early miracles, the first century church, all of that, Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone, I am the foundation, but I built it all on that. And so now we have from Genesis to Revelation, we have the codified canon of the word of God. We actually have everything that was the doctrine that we saw back in Acts chapter 2, that they, were, that they were studying the apostles' doctrine. That is the word of God, and we have that. But then the church is built on this foundation, so we are built on what Christ did through the apostles, what he did through the prophets, and what he's done in establishing the church. Jesus, he was even praying for us individually. Only Jesus could obviously do this, um, uh, you and I cannot keep, you know, but so many names in our head. Jesus, the night of him being in the Garden of Gethsemane, 2,000 years in advance of right now, the night he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the night that he sweat the drops of blood. He was praying to the Father, and he was praying for us, and if the Lord should tarry, if, I don't think this world's going to make it another 1,000 years. Do you guys... I don't think it's going to make it another thousand years. But if it did, he would be praying for those believers that are going to be saved the next 100, 200, 300, 400 years. If it were to last that long, he would have all them in mind as well. But it says in John chapter 17, 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone. Who's these alone? The 11. They were the ones that were going to, about to be scattered. Peter was about to deny Jesus. And Jesus said, I pray for you that your faith wouldn't fail. When he said, I don't pray for these alone, he's talking about the 11. Judas had already left. Judas had already bailed. But for those who will believe in me, those who will believe in me, through their word, that they all, all the future church, may be as one as you, Father, earn me, and I in you, that they also may be one. And making people act like one if you watch the news, it's not easy to make people act like one. They are naturally fractured. They naturally tear at each other. Even families can't get along. You guys know that personally. But he said that they would be one as you and I, that the world may believe that you sent me. It's all about that the world would believe the gospel. And one of the ways they'll believe the gospel is a church that really is one, filled with the Holy Spirit, and 
acts like one and loves like one. Now, those who will include this group of believers on Genito Road. That includes us. Jesus is the only one that could pray a prayer and think of millions of people by name at the same time. Remember that God is omnipotent and omniscient. He knows everything all the time and he is everywhere all the time. Jesus is the only one that could pray in the garden and literally think, and I'm looking at I see some of your names, all of your names plus everybody else that's been a believer the last 2,000 years and everyone yet to come at the same time. But notice in the prayer that our coming to faith began with, he says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's their word? That's the 11 again. The 11 will be there at Pentecost. Peter will stand up to preach. And Peter will keep preaching until he dies. John will keep preaching until he dies. Paul will come along after he tries to persecute church, and so on and so. He said their initial testimony will branch out and continue to touch future generations. That's the there he's talking about. That their witness, the witness of the apostles, will be passed down. And this also includes the epistles that will be written. They weren't written when Jesus was praying that. The epistles haven't been written. The gospels haven't been written. The book of Revelation hasn't been written. But it'll also include people that we actually see right in the scriptures that were not in faith when Jesus prayed that come to faith. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? He's only a short period of time later going to be in the faith, but he was not in the faith. Matter of fact, he was coming to Jerusalem to worship. Then on to someone like Polycarp, who was one of John's apostles. Then on to John Wycliffe, and why we actually have the Bible um, this, in this day and time, and a man like Bunyan who would late, later write Pilgrim's Progress, or, or someone like D.L. Moody who gets saved and then preaches in Chicago and New York and London, and thousands come to faith. Jesus was thinking about all of them, all the way to right now. If there were not the torchbearers and the servants then willing to wash feet and bear the torch, how would any disciples have been made? Paul asked this question in the Romans. How will they hear unless a preacher is sent? Which he's quoting from the Old Testament. How would the church finish its unfinished mission if the people don't go out and say, yes, Lord, we will labor in the vineyard? I mentioned I'd come back to the fact that this generation of believers and this church, not just this church here, but the church, has the task not a task we created, but a task given to us by Jesus to pass on our faith to the next generation. I hope all of you that are parents that have kids are passing your faith on to your kids. And you're being a witness. And you're talking to them about the scriptures. And even if you said, well, I got saved a couple years ago. All my kids are grown and they don't know the Lord. Do your best to be a witness. You know, God can turn the lights on way late in the game. Amen? So you, you just say, I, I, I only came to faith. All my kids are grown. They don't want nothing to do with the Lord. You still have Thanksgiving. You have Fourth of July. You have a place where you can be a light, right? To pass our faith on to the next generation. But we're built, we are built, all of us here in 2022, we are built on the original foundation when the gospel went forth there in that first century. We're all built on that foundation. But every single new generation is really a whole new world. Every generation is a whole new world. What do I mean by that? Well, a hundred years from right now, today is 
April 2022, 100 years from right now, 99.999. Some of you that are in big tech or IT, you, you understand the term five nines, right? 99.999% of us, 100 years, will be dead and gone. There'll be a couple of outliers. There'll be some lady, 117 in Syria. There'll be somebody, 110 in Nigeria. And they'll be it, right? 99.999% of us will be gone in 100 years. What's amazing about that, there's 8 billion people on the planet. All of them will be recycled out. All 8 billion in 100 years, not a single, except for that one or two people, like Methuselah, they were there to say, wow, everyone else is gone. It's I'm the only one left from this generation, right? And then Noah became that way after the flood. But all 8 billion people will be replaced by another 8, 10, or 12 billion people if the, if the Lord should tarry. I don't think he's going to tarry that long. But if he did, that's how it would go. That's how it has gone. So it'll be completely replaced. And you'll have thousands of thousands and thousands of new works that Jesus has pre prepared to be completed by that generation. So back to us. Right back to us. Right here. Right now. Ministry from Jesus has not changed one iota. He hasn't changed. He hasn't said, oh, Acts 2 doesn't work, doesn't apply to y'all anymore. Philippians doesn't apply to you anymore. Nehemiah, no, no. He, he would say, still the same. Lord, how do you want us to operate? Exactly the same. You just now have technology or you have this or that, uh, but things that we didn't have. You have a highway now instead of all roads lead to Rome. Now they lead all over the place. Ministry hasn't changed. Jesus is still calling his church. Still calling his church. Hasn't changed one bit. Uh, the church is drifting and becoming lukewarm and becoming self-centered and all this stuff, but that's not in the scriptures. That is man deviating away. Uh, Jesus is still calling his church to humbly wash feet. I mean metaphorically for the most part, but you could be on some missions where you, you might literally have to wash them. If some child it was in Ukraine and they had blood and glass in their feet and God says, get your hands dirty, then you better do it, right? But mostly, it's metaphorically cleaning feet. But we're still to be teaching the Word, which God's called me to do, and God's called other pastors to do. It's been to be encouraging one another as disciples. We, we to be assembling together to worship, not sitting it out, and you know, I, I, I come when I feel like it or something like No, you have a mandate from Jesus. Nothing has changed. To gather and to fellowship, just as the church did in Acts chapter 2. To how they did it, we should be doing it. To disciple one another, still commanded. To be unified, still commanded. To gather to pray, still commanded by Jesus. To be in the Spirit and do it in love, still commanded by Jesus. To serve one another, still commanded by Jesus. Notice who I'm putting the emphasis on. Still commanded by who? Jesus. To minister to one another. In songs and hymns, why we have words, all commanded by Jesus or written in the word that he mandated or commissioned or authored, i.e. the scriptures, the epistles, all, all still commanded by Jesus. Nothing has changed. I actually take great rest that what I'm reading has not changed. How about you? This ever-changing world is a mess. This will actually bring the message that will cut through all of that mess. The answer, or to answer, for us to answer the call and to take new steps of faith and 
additional steps to respond. You just saw me lay hands on Randy. He was already, he's already been a really faithful guy. He already is doing 98% of what we'll probably ask him to do. There's initial responsibility, but still taking that additional step of faith, additional step of responsibility. But we see this in saints in the, in the scriptures. Look at Peter going from denying to preaching Pentecost. Big, big steps he took. Uh, we see Stephen going from being a guy who's serving as a deacon to preaching a sermon so powerful they stone him on the spot. I don't think any of you are hoping for that ministry. <laughs> Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, many others. I mean, they were just like you and I, but God says, if you take these steps, I'll take you to this place and your impact. All of us, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we are all called. You will not, I promise you, you stand before the Lord, He will ask you, how did you use your time, talent, and treasure? He's going to ask the question. If you think your boss is going to ask the question, you can better believe the King of Kings is going to ask, He's going to ask, how did you use your time, talent, and treasure? Now, He already knows. Jesus asked many questions he knew the answer to, didn't he? It was one of the ways he taught. He would say a question like, tell me why this scripture is, and then they would give their reasons. But he's going to ask. He's going to ask me. He's going to ask you. How do we use the time, talent? That's all we're given. Some amount of time, some amount of gifting, and some amount of treasure, which all belongs to him. But uh, 1 John expresses, the book of 1 John, written by John the Apostle, who was the last living apostle, expresses there's a spiritual progression in that work that starts with, and, and I mentioned this in the first service, this only applies to believers. If you are a believer, there's three things that are given to the believer that are never given to the unbeliever. All three are given to the believer. None, it's an all or nothing proposition. A believer is given salvation at the point where you believe in Christ and you believe on him for salvation. You ask him to cleanse you for your sin. You receive salvation. The rest of your life, whether it's a short few hours like the thief on the cross or a hundred plus years or right about a hundred years like the apostle John, the rest of your life is a life of sanctification. And that is being conformed into the image of Jesus, which is a long process of being conformed, God refining us, God making us more. We never become perfect, but we're in this process of sanctification. And then the third when everyone is perfected, is called glorification. That is either when you die or the rapture of the church, you get a new body and you get a sinless nature, never to sin again, never even to even possibly sin again. Isn't that great? But salvation, sanctification, glorification. If you're saved, you get all three. If you're not saved, you get none of the three. It really is an all or nothing proposition. But this spiritual progression, we're in that right now because we're all alive. If you're saved, you're in that work that outworking of sanctification and we're to be maturing in love and in service and even responsibility. The Bible talks about being babes in the faith. You don't give a babe the car keys. Our government is doing crazy dumb things. They want to put car keys in the hands of kindergartners these days. Like talking about sexuality and stuff like that. So you can see God is really wise, mankind is really dumb, right? But there really should be a progression of growth. And that's why John writes, which is all about the church being a loving organism, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. 
I write to you little children because you've known the Father. And he starts from top to bottom. He starts from the most mature believers, the fathers, then the young men, then the children, all the way down to toddlers and even infants. And what he's saying, and by the way, from, a, from the female perspective, you could say to the mothers of the faith, to the young women of the faith, Hebrews in the way it, the connotation or the way the Hebrew patriarchal society includes it's inclusive that female would be also the same mothers young women and children but when I got saved in 1995 I was a child and then Paul talks about I was a child I spoke as a child I become and you, there's a there's a growth pattern then you become young men of and young women have been through something fathers and mothers in the faith They've been through a lot of somethings, right? They have a lot of context. They have a lot of experience. Oh, I've seen that before. Do not overreact there. Stop and pray or whatever. So you can see this progression. But the amount of spiritual growth that God wants to do in and through you individually, me individually, through this church is far more than you and I can imagine. I, I have no... I guarantee... I'm. 100% positive if Jesus stepped on the stage and said, let me explain what I want to do in every one of you, it would be infinitely more than any one of us thought. Uh, just what God's done since last Sunday humbles me. Just things that uh, the Lord just showed me in, in a week of, uh, I got to lead someone to the Lord on, later in the week or just conversation. I, I'm, I'm not only involved in this church, but I'm probably speaking or helping two or three other churches at the same time on little things but because God's, we're one family. Um, I can guarantee you I'm unfinished. But I can guarantee you you're unfinished. And this church is unfinished. We've come a long way. We've got a long ways to go still. We have a lot more headroom of what God wants to do. If you're still here, that's true. If you've been saved, Jesus has called you to hold the torch, to wash some feet, somewhere, somehow, and I promise if we do, you'll grow. One of the ways you grow, he who teaches learns. <laughs> just, doing, just doing those things, you'll grow, you'll be blessed, others will be blessed, and we will see more disciples made and more people saved. That's the, that's the formula there in Acts. Nothing, nothing's changed. Just do those things. And someday he will say to us individually, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that nothing has changed, that the word you gave is the same word, and we can stand on it, we can rely on it, we can trust in it. And we're grateful, Lord, that uh, we can stand on these things. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart here, those online, those that are here, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear your commission, hear your command, but Lord, we would yield. Lord, our time doesn't belong to us. Our voices, our gifts, our talent, it doesn't belong to us. You could take it away in a New York minute. Our treasure doesn't belong to us. Lord, this whole market collapsed this week in about a thousand different ways. None of it belongs to us, Lord. Help us to remember you've called us to be living sacrifices, just as the apostles were, just as the saints in the first century 
And Lord, we saw what you did through them. And you still want to do through us here in 2022. You're not changing your word for us. You are reminding your word to us. And so, Lord, we ask these things that you would just bless as we take these steps of faith and obedience and serve in different areas. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Uh, before I ask you to um, uh, just stand and we'll maybe sing a stanza together, um, can you guys pull up that? I have one last slide. I want to, um, yes, this one. Um, we're going to break in just a minute here. And uh, matter of fact, when we stand up to worship, I'm going to ask when we stand up to worship, those of you that are serving a ministry table, when we stand up to worship, I'm going to ask you to walk on out and go ahead and take your place. And then the rest of us will worship a stanza or two and then we'll come join you. So, but before I do that, up on the screen here, uh, these are all ministry areas that, that we have today at CCR, except for the ones that I put in italics. Um, and just a point of clarification, like where it says FI, that stands for first impressions. You can see like parking, hospitality, uh, ushers and greeters. The, as you come in through the different waves of parking lot, outer ring, fellowship hall, next ring, through these doors, you know, kind of those kind of progressions, all of those are first impressions of people visiting, you know, that they're, that they're uh, warmly greeted, that they help them find the bathroom if they have kids. Oh, we can help you get to the children's ministry out in the modulars, that kind of stuff. That's called first impressions. All the other ministries up there are pretty self-explanatory. Um, we, we have gaps in some, some less and some more than others. Uh, we have, um, I, I mentioned uh, Brother Tawan is up in Northern Virginia. We have a handful of ladies that are on worship team right now. Uh, Lisa, you're one of them. Sharonda's one. Gwen Bass is another. But, uh, you know, I would love to see God bless us with a few more female voices. I like these dudes behind me. I mean, I really do. And, and, and uh, they're handsome beards and all that stuff. But, uh, you know... And, and I, but the handful of ladies that we have that are serving, I mean, I love when Lisa and Sharonda and um, Gwen sing, but we probably could use a few more female voices that God would... And so we're not worried about it. The church hasn't been hampered by these things. It'll just be a blessing if God raised that up. And the same true in children's ministry. We are holding it down, but we would like to do more than hold it down. We want to do everything as best we can and say, Jesus, we gave you our very best. Amen. I don't want to give God our leftovers. Why don't you give... Yeah other things in this world your leftovers but don't give God your leftovers Amen. and that's really a big problem in, in the American churches many people are giving God their leftovers but they'll give their absolute best to things that are just not that important uh, in the scheme of it all so uh, that is um, again when you go out there you have a chance to talk to anybody out there if you don't have a good voice don't pursue worship um, <laughs> that's not your calling you know if you if you and people in your family can help you identify this. They know you best. They go, no, 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 no. You're, you're right over here. You're mowing grass or you're, you're watching kids. That's, I've heard you sing. That's not you. So, um, so just keep that in mind, uh, those kind of things. And then uh, before we break and, and we stand in worship, and then those of you that are manning the tables, please head out. And um, before I do, I believe you guys have been married, is it 25 years this week? Rick and Rosie, stand up. We'll give you a hand. Because, because we're a church family, we're not a mega church, we're a church family, 
you know, if you have things that are big deal, we, we, we rejoice with you. Can I pray for y'all's marriage? And then, uh, but I'll, I'll pray for everybody else's marriage while I'm praying for yours. Lord, we thank you for these 25 years of marriage. I thank you for Rick and Rosie and their marriage. I pray that uh, you just bless them with many more. Uh, that the generation of their own children would follow and have the same blessing in marriage. And also, Lord, all the marriages in this church, you'd strengthen them, make them healthy to the glory of God. In Jesus' name.